Well said, Dan. Yeah, everything. You have such great leadership here. Um, you're going to hear more about that. I'm going to talk about the quality of your leaders in this teaching. Uh, but if you, we already read the text, John 13. We read it. So hello, Neighbors Church. Hi. Like Dan said, my name's Evan. My wife, Sandy, there she is. And our kids, Sandy and I, have the joy of leading Park Hill, your sister church, to the west of here, I guess. And uh, yeah, everything Dan said is everything on our hearts. We would love to see this city and through our influence in this city, you're in that hour, through our influence by the Spirit's power in this city, we would actually seed the Western world with the presence of Jesus. And, um, and so today, I want to continue your Gospel of John series on that um, with a teaching on abiding in Jesus through the Spirit, uh, which is how we are fueled to do any of this stuff. Um, to love God and one another well. And I'll be honest, I laughed kind of when Dan gave me this text to preach because it's the foundation of what I wanted to talk about anyway. Uh, this text is where it's rooted. So I want to talk about this idea of leaning back into Jesus's own body. Um, one of the disciples does it in this story. So if I could, just five-second prayer for illumination. Acknowledge the presence of God. Holy Spirit, come illuminate our minds to what you desire for the world and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So just to kick off, uh, how, how many of you have like plans to do a bunch of stuff now that shelter in place is going away and summer's coming and you have like big ideas? You're like super pumped about this thing you've always wanted to do and you're gonna do it. Like this summer, you're gonna do it. Like the craziest vacation ever. It'll be better than any vacation. You're pressuring yourself in that way. Um, like get fit maybe, uh, uh, take up surfing. How many of you started baking during lockdown? Yes, that was a thing. My, one, my, my 12 year old started, he's started baking during lockdown. Uh, and as, as I read like articles about how people were behaving during lockdown, uh, we were all trying to be more, more productive during lockdown than we were even before. Like we have this pressure on ourselves. And now that we're on the back end, here we are again making plans to do more things and <laughs> outperform our previous self. And I think for the most part, the message we get from our culture, and I'm going to explain what this means, but there's like this aggressive, like lean into your cult, lean into who you are, get like crush it. If you notice the American vernacular is quite violent. A good thing is when you kill it. <laughs> like you crush and you slay. Like that's our culture. Um, and, and produce more, control outcomes, get down to net uh, inbox zero. Like that, like that is when you are leaning in and crushing it. We lean into our careers, that degree program, networking, getting our 10-year plan executed. We have pressure to lean into like building a family in time for whatever decade you think matters or lean into ministry, personal growth, trying to start a family, all that. And, and now that the world's opening up, you lean into how to re-enter. Like you want to get the right momentum. And we all have this this thing inside of us. Sheryl Sandberg, she is one of the COOs of Facebook, and she wrote a famous book back in 2013 titled Lean In. And it's all about how women need to assert themselves in the workplace in order to change the world and the pressure's on and you gotta be bigger and louder, which is important. We need gender equality in the workplace, absolutely. But that's like pressure, tons of pressure. And this even goes for kids. A 2013 survey found that 64% of America say parents don't put enough pressure on their kids to do better in school. Um, so now we're all leaning, we're all men, women, and children. We all feel it now. And, and don't get me wrong, it's important to like be challenged and 
do hard stuff, <laughs> for sure. But with all of us like leaning in uh, and crushing it, John gives us a vivid picture for what discipleship to Jesus looks like against all of that, and that is leaning back. Leaning back. And so in our text, which Matt already read, it was the night of Jesus' betrayal, and Jesus is enjoying the Last Supper meal with his disciples, which would be the first communion. And so Jesus removes his outer garment, and he kneels down to wash the disciples' feet. Your boy Matt crushed this passage last week. Jesus, the servant king, washes the feet of his disciples, showing us how to lead. Um, and after that foot washing, they're all lingering around the table. And it would have been like a low U-shaped semicircle table. So get Leonardo da Vinci out of your mind. That picture is like Jesus ordered a table for 26. And they're like, whoa, that's a big party. He's like, no, I just, we're just all going to sit on one side. Um, so get that out of your mind. So uh, they're all leaning on their left elbow on, on a cushion and eating with one hand, their right hand. I did this in Saudi Arabia. They, they still do this in the nice restaurants. You, you sit on a cushion. And I thought it was going to be really fun. The waiters had scimitars, by the way, which was epic. And, and so you're leaning on one hand, and, and I thought it was going to be great, but then you realize, whoa, I'm very exposed. <laughs> like, my whole self is splayed out to everyone else. I'm just, everyone can just see, like, my body laying on a pillow. Um, you're very present to each other in this situation. So, as, so picture that. Very present to each other. Um, and Jesus starts to explain, one of you, my closest friends, will betray me. And the room gets tense, right? And imagine, so 10 times your most awkward Thanksgiving family meal, the room just freezes. And so Judas, sitting there, sick of Jesus' teachings and his, and his promises. Jesus never broke a promise. Judas didn't, he just didn't like the shape of Jesus' promises. And, and he's tired of this way of Jesus. And, uh, and finally, he agrees to help get rid of Jesus. So Judas is plotting in that moment to betray Jesus, and Jesus knows this. One writer says this about betrayal. Betrayal is more than separation or rejection. To betray is to use the secrets of a person's personal life, thoughts confided to a friend, and to turn against that person. To use their confided thought or words in order to hurt and defile them. To destroy a reputation. That's betrayal. Judas betrayed Jesus. He knew the secrets, the thoughts, even the location of Jesus. And he used it all against him. And, and think about this. Judas knew Jesus would go quietly. Like how wicked can that be? Judas knew Jesus wouldn't put up a fight. And so Jesus, during this meal, Jesus can no longer handle this. His emotions cannot be contained anymore. And it says in verse 21, John 13, Jesus was troubled in spirit or in anguish. And he testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. It's like Jesus isn't emotionally able to handle it or contain his emotions anymore. Have you ever been there? Where you can't emotionally hold on to a piece of information around people that you love. And so the disciples are devastated. It says, at a loss. Maybe not so much by the words, but the way. 
Jesus is saying this. So get out of, get, you know, the glazed over prophet, sage, Jesus. Get that out of your mind. He's not some shaman, holy man who's like, one of you will betray me. No, he's convulsing right now. Shaken to his core, literally is the Greek. Shaken to his soul. And so picture when a dad has an emotional breakdown in front of small children. What do the kids do? They don't even know what to do. Their faces. This is the disciples. They're like, what is happening? And then there's that weird exchange where <laughs> Judas, le- Judas, he stands up and Jesus is like, my betrayer is the one who I give the bread. And Jesus gives Judas the bread. He's like, go do what you will. And the disciples don't, it's like slow motion nightmare. They don't even know what's going on. And when Judas finally leaves, John 13, 30, John says this, as soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night, he says. Why that detail? By the way, it was night. John, uh, he loves playing with this light and dark metaphor. He does this from the beginning of the book, the very beginning of John. John says, in Jesus was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. So light, dark, right? Day and night. John loves playing with these, these opposites, these polarities, And so here, when Jesus, who's the light of the world, is betrayed, John says, and it was night. Um, And the reason is because Judas is turning away from the light of the world in this moment and stepping into the deepest darkness, the coldest place any human's ever been. That's what's happening. Judas is rejecting love with all caps. He's rejecting Jesus. Um, It started back in chapter 6. Judas loses trust in Jesus. And then chapter 12... Judas progresses to, like, despise someone worshiping Jesus, that moment. And right here, it culminates, he rejects Jesus' love. And from this point, no light can come in. As, as Shua said in the comments on this teaching, you have a great teaching team, by the way, that, like, collaborates every week. And in, in Shua's like, this is harrowing. And he's right. Um, Judas was in darkness, And in darkness, you make some of the worst decisions you'll ever make, right? But during this dark scene, we're given another another pair of opposites. So you have light and dark, but there's another pair of opposites. And there's this Judas, and then there's this unnamed disciple, right? If you know this book, there's this disciple with no name. We're just told he is the disciple whom Jesus loved. And that's intentional, (laughs) So as Judas is plotting betrayal, there's this disciple in the room who's literally leaning back into Jesus's chest, close to Christ in warm intimacy. He's there trusting and he's there in comfort. And if you read the text, it almost makes it look like that disciple leans again and gets deeper into Jesus's chest as Jesus is agonizing. It's this beautiful, it's like this disciple feels the heartbreak of Jesus. And so, like I said, this disciple's never named. It just says he's the disciple whom Jesus loved. Historically, we believe this is John, the guy who wrote this whole book. Um, But I love what Ronald Rollheiser, he's just a brilliant Catholic mystic. He says this about this. His name is left blank so every one of us can put our names there. Each of us is to be the beloved disciple, the one who identifies themselves I'm leaning back. I'm leaning back on Jesus and special intimacy. This can be me. 
This is, this is an intentional move. So see that contrast. Judas rejects Jesus' love and the beloved disciple absorbs Jesus' full emotion, love and agony by literally placing his body up into Jesus' body. So this is quite the contrast, right? Um, but you guys have been in John for over a year, so you know he's kind of a black and white person. Um, John's like, by saying this, there's really two kinds of people, two buckets. Those who are either moving away from Jesus in more and more rejection, rejecting his love, or those who are drawing nearer. There's really two kinds of movement in relation to God. And that's what John is getting at here, okay? So that's the harrowing part. You guys still with me? <laughs> the harrowing part is over and you see the contrast, but I really wanna meditate and, and turn a corner now as we head toward communion. Meditate on this loved disciple, this loved learner. Um, so as they're reclining, remember no chairs, just cushions on elbows, one hand in the, in the meal. And, and John has his head on Jesus's chest. So what do you hear when you put your ear right there on someone? Yeah, you hear a heartbeat. You hear, John literally had access physically to Jesus's anxiety response. He, he had, he had a, a bead on Jesus's rhythm and his blood flow. Um, think about that. So, and with this picture, with that, we get John's ultimate picture of discipleship in this moment. Uh, so Sandy and I have five kids, four boys and a girl. So there's our girl. Oh no, she went to the class with the bubbles. Um, she loves cuddling. Harper is a just relentless cuddler. Ever since she was little, still to this day, whenever Sandy and I go in for a hug and kiss, Harper's like a moth to a light bulb. Uh, we just light up the room with a kiss. Even if she, she can like feel that we're kissing in the other room and she just zips over and wedges in between us. So she pokes her head out and just laughs. That, that picture, that's what John's talking about. That's discipleship. Um, a disciple is someone who's leaning back on Jesus' chest, hearing the heartbeat in the middle of the intimacy and from, from that perspective, looking out at the world. We're not escaping into some divine monastery where we just don't, when you hear Dan talk about urban monastery, do not think escape. You, we're not burying our face in all the, our favorite private things. Uh, we are burying our whole self, our being, in the being of Jesus and from there looking out. This is discipleship. Uh, the world loves to look out. Justice is hip and, and rightfully so, but the source <laughs> of our doing is from the being that John is experiencing, the heart rate of Jesus in that moment. Um, a disciple is the one who sees the world with the sound of Jesus's heart in their ear. I'll say that again. <laughs> a disciple is the one who's facing the world, ready to do justice and righteousness with the sound of Jesus' heartbeat in their ear. Um, th and this is what I'm still learning from God, you guys. Like, 20 years or whatever into church work, um, like leaning in, to use Sheryl Sandberg's language, leaning into church and ministry and networking with leaders. And for me, I am still learning. Like I'm barely hanging on, I feel. It's a matter of life and death for me. I, I, I have to see the world the way this disciple did from a place where I'm close enough to Jesus to hear his heart. Because uh, newsflash, I, I don't know, 
I don't, know if you, how, I don't know how you think of pastors. You think of Dan and Alexis and what they do with all their free time or whatever and who they are. You can lose sight of this even in ministry, you guys. <laughs> you can't. Judas was a very close follower of Jesus. So whatever your picture of a pastor is, Judas was a very close minister to Jesus. And for me, I've flirted with this way too many times. My eyes, I'm leaning back with my ears pressed up against my church. Or... Uh, what I thought San Diego needs, learning about the culture and spending a bunch of time in networking with leaders inside and outside the church and, you know, the music industry, songwriting, what kinds of songs are working out in the church and what am I doing? What, what kind of creativity is needed based on what I'm hearing people want? And, um, but when you walk in intimacy with Jesus, you come to realize what a city really needs are people who are close enough to hear his heart so that they can lead others there when the rest of the church is seemingly off. Um, and for me, this is when I'm pressed up against Jesus, leaning back, and from that place, I can say, my, my, heart, my head is on Jesus' heart, and that's where I can say, hey, Sandy, come this way, or hey, kids, or hey, church, come this way. I can hear it. That's where we have what we need. The, the proximity and the fuel to really do justice and love mercy. So this disciple's location is intended to tell us something about him. He's reclining near Jesus, and from there he can see clearly. Um, so th this is an even bigger deal than we can imagine. You Such a big deal, you guys. Because according to John 1, which I remember when Dan opened up the Gospel of John in 2019, um, According to John 1, the disciples' location in, in Jesus is exactly the same as Jesus' location in God. So John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. You guys, this is actually best captured in the, in the English version in the Old King James. How many of you have that epic poem on your lap right now? Old King James. Do you have one? Anyone? Oh, it's okay. That's good. You do on your phone. Good. Yeah, good. So that bad boy renders this kind of awesome. It says, John 1.18, it says, No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he has made him known. Weird word. We don't use bosom that often. But John uses it again in chapter 13. There, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples. So same place, Jesus in the Father's bosom, John in Jesus's bosom. Weird word, totally, we don't use that word anymore. Don't think male or female body parts, think folds of a garment. Like you know when a kid has too many matchbox cars and he like puts them in his shirt and pockets them? That's literally the bosom, the folds of the garment, the, the pouch. And uh, this is the location, this is meaning the disciple is in that T-shirt fold of Jesus, covered and intimate, exactly like Jesus is in the T-shirt fold of the Father. Exact same word. So, so the implications of this are beautiful. Jesus being that close to the Father is what made God knowable to us. 
So neighbors, this is in your vision statement, right? You guys, uh, just like in Park Hill's vision statement, we share it. Uh, It's first and foremost to be with Jesus. That's the beginning and end of discipleship. From being with Jesus and then looking out from there, we get the perspective to go make God knowable by us then becoming like Jesus and doing what he did. And so for the beloved disciple, this means being close enough to Jesus to be able to make him known. You guys, intimacy with Jesus actually reveals God to the world. Okay, so we're we're coming to the end now. And and you're probably like, uh, this is all beautiful (laughs) words. I'm feeling an emotional response. This is great, awesome. But what does this look like practically? Like, what does this require of me? Leaning back sounds good. Intimacy with God. But what does that mean I do? Um, What does that require? Three things. Number one, you have to show up. You have to show up. Rollheiser says it this way. There's no bad way to pray. And there's no one, there's no one starting point for prayer. All the great spiritual masters offer only one non-negotiable rule. You have to show up for prayer and you have to show up regularly. Number one, this is leaning back. It's showing up to pray. This is why, like Dan announced, this is why Park Hill and neighbors are setting aside all of April and then all of August to cry out to God every Tuesday night. For Park Hill, we're literally asking at Park Hill, we're asking all our communities to stop meeting in April like normal. Uh, No regular community meals. Instead, shift your whole community rhythm to these prayer nights on Tuesdays. Because here's what we're learning about prayer. Christians and prayer, they go together so well and so not well. (laughs) Uh, if If Christians don't take everything else off the table to pray, Christians don't pray. This is what we're learning. (laughs) We learned that personally and as a church. Everything about prayer is everything the enemy and our nature kicks against. And at the same time, prayer is everything we need to lean back. Everything. We need to lean back into Jesus' own body. So show up to pray. I love what Rollheiser says. There's no bad way to pray. Maybe you busy uh, college-age students or busy parents of small kids or whatever. You got a lot going on. Listen, there's no bad way to pray. You can pray sitting down, standing up on your knees, out loud in a a big group, all alone. There is no bad way. One one non-negotiable rule, you got to show up and show up regularly, consistently. I would even say this strongly. Like if you don't show up regularly to pray, you're not leaning back on Jesus. Um. So leaning back requires, number one, showing up to pray. Number two, you must put away distraction. So imagine the beloved disciple, he's leaning on Jesus and suddenly, like his phone. And, and he's like, don't, he's like, ignore it, it's on vibrate. Jesus won't know. And Jesus, it's like, and Jesus is like, you're going to get that because that's distracting me now. Um, one of my favorite sayings from uh, my friend Dave Lomas uh, Sandy and I try to practice, especially on Sabbath. He says, this is a very powerful saying. Let's just not know. Like, let's just not know. Right after we planted uh, our Park Hill, <laughs> I had to delete like every social media app from my phone and, and lock myself out of email and browser on my phone. So my phone is actually a phone now. Um, Imagine that. So I, st- I still have it all on my computer, but I-, I actually have to sit down and plan to go that instead of it coming at me. 
Um, and so, and so now at home, we're like, let's just, let's just not know. Like, like, you know, when you're in that great conversation with someone that's something random, oh, who's that actor? What's their name? You got a fact check. And let's just not, let's just guess. Let's just look at each other and guess. That's kind of, and like, what? so well, when's the next Marvel movie? Winter Soldier, what's that? I don't know which one it is. Let's guess. Multiverse of Madness or Black Widow? Like, I don't know. Like you just, and, but the point is you're staying here. Because um, once you whip out the phone, everyone's clutching for it and the moment's gone. Five people are distracted for eight minutes. And so, uh, Unfortunately, the tech industry has made us incredibly efficient and deficient in the things we're called to be most deep in. Um, because we like to pay attention to trivial things so that we aren't attentive to anyone or any of the most meaningful things, particularly the deepest things inside of us. And so leaning back into Jesus, show up regularly, put away distractions, and finally, in Pete Scazzaro's words, the third thing, leaning back requires that we release control of our relationship with God to God. Say again, we release control of our relationship with God to God. Your spiritual growth, your plans, your goals, and this is God's. And here's what this means. As, you know, we're in the eighth largest city in the world, San Diego, we're still beating Dallas, come on. Uh, as Southern Californians working and studying in a city, there's probably a lot of you here who know how to take numbers and codes and products and ideas and, and bring them under your agenda and, and manage and form goals and all of that. And these goals are good. This is part of you bringing shalom into the world as a creative being with a vocation. Absolutely. But often we're tempted to use those same grids for God and, and, and tempted to go and order our spiritual growth goals and control the outcomes. Uh, you try to use God to produce your own transformation. And, you know, if you're not where you think you should be, you might take it out on your idea of God and lean away from Jesus or whatever. Um, you try to bring about the changes you think God wants for you in your own life when what you really need is to release control of your relationship with God to God. And this takes silence, which is why you guys are in such good hands. <laughs> You're leaders. Um, I'm continuing to learn through silence. I feel like a novice in solitude. Uh, I'm, uh, we are getting the rhythm of Sabbath. I think our family Sabbaths really well. But we're learning through these things. I have to, I have to let go of outcomes my spiritual outcomes. And I know silence is a value here at Neighbors, literally written on your website, and that is a massive testament to your vitality and your trajectory as a church. If the health of your leaders is any indication of where you're headed as a church, it bodes extremely well for you. Um, your leaders not only understand, but are living examples of releasing control of outcomes. <laughs> Trust me releasing control of their relationship with God to God. Ruth Barton talks about it like this talking about silence. Without the regular experience of being received and loved by God in solitude and silence, we are vulnerable to a kind of leadership that's driven by profound emptiness that we are seeking to fill through performance and achievement. That goes for more than just pastors. Maybe that's why Judas wanted Jesus gone. Judas was following Jesus to try to control Jesus Maybe Judas was driven by that profound emptiness. 
And when he started to realize Jesus would not bend to Judas's will, Judas decided to let go. But the enduring, you guys, <laughs> the, the vivid picture of discipleship is leaning back, letting go in Jesus, showing up for regular prayer, putting away distraction, and releasing control of whatever happens to Jesus. Again, your leaders live this. I, I just remember, you know, going on trips with Dan back and forth from Portland. He just always, as long as I've known, rises early and functions out of silence. It's who he is. And, and, and I, wish, I wish this wasn't true, but, but it's true that that kind of leader is rare. Um, so what does this mean for all of us, you guys? Uh, neighbors in Park Hill, two sister churches. I sometimes say one church, two expressions in the same city. Um, what does this mean? Uh, there's a very practical way we can live out of this, you guys. You've already heard it today. This year is our year of increased commitment to prayer, at least as Park Hill, and I know as neighbors. Uh, for the month of April and August, every Tuesday, we're leaning into Jesus' chest together. Yeah, praise the Lord, he said. That's awesome. Um, so every single Tuesday at 7 p.m., Liberty Station, that's two nights from now. <laughs> We're doing it again, 7 p.m., Liberty Station, to lay hands on each other and to cry out to God in the presence of Jesus' folded T-shirt. Like, we're there with him. So come on and pray. And as our two churches grow, there's going to be more tangible ways. Dan and I are conspiring, like, things to talk about in the fall that will reverberate into years to come. As I alluded at the beginning, we want to seed the Western church with these values. And... Um, yeah, we're talking about co-kind of teaching along a track together. And uh, yeah, we want to be this kind of communal family. Show up. So can you imagine if we really did this? <laughs> can you imagine if we really became like two churches and then three and then maybe six and then seven in San Diego who listen to Christ's heartbeat and lean back on one another and we know we're looking at the world and we're all doing it from different angles can you imagine what kind of community our city would see? I think, I think, we, I think San Diego would see what love, like pure love looks like. Um, like beyond ideology, beyond liberal conservative, <laughs> beyond uh, what we think about what guideline comes down the pipe for the rest of 2021 or whatever, beyond different schools of thought or people's opinions of us, the city would see the disciple who knows they're loved fiercely. Um, and, not, and our, not just our city, but, our, but the church that's really divided right now would see that. Super divided church would see a much needed vision of self-sacrifice beyond personal freedoms, right? Or, or comforts. So when I think of the kind of prayer we can share and the creativity we can, we can enjoy together, um, I think of a community of churches that is strong enough to keep our hearts soft when everything in the world is trying to harden your heart. You're listening to Jesus's blood pressure. You're listening to his heartbeat. The kind of community that does not gossip, but has gentle praise in every private room for one another. Cheering on other people's gifts. Our culture thrives on jealousy. Like, you know, jealousy is driving creative rooms in Silicon Valley. <laughs> Jealousy is fueling creativity all over the world, but in this community where the spirit reigns, cheering on people's diverse gifts, 
And that leads to increased capacity to forgive and, and see our wounds as being healed by Jesus. And celebrating Jesus' vision for sexuality as good. Like Jesus knows what it means to be a fully human person, a sexual human person, and he leads us in flourishing. And we celebrate that confidently. And so neighbors, like I know as, as we worship now, I know our world's been nuts. And um, yeah, <laughs> it's hard to know what's real. As commentators everywhere call us, in the, we're in the middle of a reality war. This is a reality war. Um, but from the re- most real place, if, if heaven and the resurrection is true reality, like C.S. Lewis calls it, it's the most real, real. And that's coming into the world through our physical embodied presence now. Um, there, there's no reality war here. Like we hear the heartbeat of the kingdom of God in person. Um, and so looking out at one another and at the world, we get to embody that together. So that's, that's how we get perspective on what the heck is going on. The big conspiracy, the true conspiracy out there is satanic. And it's meant to get your eyes off. It's meant to get you focused on global meta whatevers that you can do absolutely nothing about and get you off the silence, the bread and cup, the scriptures, and one another. And so in Jesus' heart, we see what's real, really. We see what's real. And we could say, hey, city, hey, church, hey, family, hey, coworker, come over here. I'm just flourishing. Um, so Holy Spirit, would you come? Continually remind us of the real. We lean back now. We lean back into the real. And yeah, we're going to do our best and we're going to be filled with the spirit to go do justice and, and do as a good a job as we can in our vocations and all of that. Absolutely. But Lord, show us how to do it from intimacy with you. Show us. If it's as simple as showing up, may we show up. If it's as simple as saying, God, I, 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 I admit I I need you. I have not been following you at all. Here I am. God wants to transform you. So Holy Spirit, come. Wash us in your love and show us.